Good morning. A reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The word of God for the people of God. I want you where I can see you. <laughs> so many years ago, back at the, the beginning of my sophomore year of college, I moved into an apartment with, with three of my very best friends. Uh, this morning, I'm going to call them Larry, Curly, and Mo. Uh, in our freshman year of, of college, Larry and Curly and, and Mo and I had all been neighbors, and we really enjoyed each other. We got to be good friends that first year of college, and we thought it would be a great idea for us all to move in together the next year. And so at the beginning of our, our sophomore year of college, we all moved in together, all four of us, into, into an apartment. And, and I have to tell you, the first two weeks of that semester were two of the best weeks of my entire life. We had such a good time together in that apartment. We, we would stay up late into the night eating pizza and, and playing video games and, and talking about God and life and the universe and, and everything. We had, we had a fantastic time together there just being friends and laughing and having fun in that apartment for, for about the first two weeks. And it was after about two weeks that, that suddenly tragedy struck. Suddenly something terrible happened. One day, one day Larry and, and Curly and I were, were sitting there eating pizza, playing video games when, when Mo came into the room and he had a cardboard tube in his hand and he said, guys, he said, we have a problem. He said, we're all out of toilet paper. Somebody, somebody's going to have to go and get more toilet paper. Well, Larry looked at Curly, and, and Curly looked at Mo, and Mo looked at me. And then all of us together, at the very same time, we all said, not it. And we laughed. We thought that was, that was funny. You know, we had a good chuckle over that. But then as the hours went by, it, it became apparent that all of us had actually meant it. None of us were intending to go and, and get more toilet paper. We were all just waiting for somebody else to do it. As the hours went by, it suddenly became apparent that we were in the middle of what I can only describe as a, a full-blown toilet paper cold war. And, and at first, you know, we all just decided that we would try to wait the other guys out, we decided we would just see how long we could hold it and hope that somebody else crumbled first. Of course, that was only going to work for so long, and, and eventually we, we all had a moment of weakness when we went next door to our neighbor's apartment and knocked on the door and asked to use their bathroom. And, and of course, that had a limited lifespan too. It only took a couple days before our neighbors got tired of us knocking on their door all the time and using all their toilet paper. So after a couple days, our neighbors cut us off, and, and that's when we had to get 
really creative. I don't know what the other guys did. I know that I, I developed my own secret stash of toilet paper. I kept it under my dirty clothes at the bottom of my closet. And I, I only used it when the other guys weren't around because I was bound and determined that if they weren't going to share toilet paper with me, then I wasn't going to share toilet paper with them. And it went on like this for weeks. We lived for weeks at a time without any toilet paper at all in our bathroom in the apartment there. And you can imagine, I suspect you can imagine exactly what that situation did to the mood, the atmosphere in the apartment. We weren't having fun anymore. Nobody was laughing anymore. We weren't staying up late and eating pizza and playing video games anymore. Instead, we all just sat around and glared at each other. We all just just sat around and did our homework and stared daggers at each other, stewing in our, our bitterness and resentment. And that's what we were doing the day that, that the dam finally broke. It was, it was inevitable that eventually something was going to spark and, and this situation was going to blow up all over everybody, which it did. One day I was, I was sitting there glaring at, uh, at Larry and Curly when, when suddenly I felt something smack me on the side of my head. Well, I looked up and I saw that Mo was standing at the, at the door, and Mo had in his arms, he had a giant armload of, of toilet paper, a mountain of toilet paper cradled in his arms, and somehow he was managing to corral all of that toilet paper at the same time he was flinging it with, with astonishing accuracy at our heads. He was hitting us every time, every time he threw one of these rolls of toilet paper, and, and as he was standing there throwing all of these toilet paper rolls at our heads, I had a, a brief moment where I said, this is, this is kind of funny. This is probably the funniest thing that's happened to me in, in a while. And then I looked at, at Mo. I saw the look in his eyes, and I realized he was, he was not laughing. Mo really had, had an angry, angry look on his face. He was serious. He was trying to wound us with these, these rolls of toilet paper. He was trying to draw blood with this toilet paper. Well, we all dove for cover until Mo ran out of ammunition. We, we all hid behind chairs and under tables until all of the toilet paper rolls had been had been thrown and then finally Mo finally ran out of toilet paper he he turned around without a word he walked out of the apartment he walked himself straight down to the student housing office and he asked if they would transfer him to another apartment he never spent another day in that apartment with us again that was the end of of what could have been a beautiful friendship just coincidentally I, I have to tell you now I've kept in touch with Mo do you know what he does now he is a, he went on to get his PhD in in political science and now he's a professor he specializes in in international terrorism he spent his <laughs> he spent his entire lifetime trying to study and, and work out and explain to people what it is that makes people suddenly erupt in violence uh, around the world I don't know that I, I had a part in that but I don't know that I didn't either that was that was the end of what what had been up until that point a, a really beautiful friendship, a really beautiful collaboration and partnership in that apartment. I'll never forget the look in Mo's eyes that, that day, and I'll never forget the lesson that I learned that semester, which is very simply this. It's a lot easier to be neighbors than it is to 
be family. Am I right? Tell me you know what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? The truth is, the, the hard truth is that, that sometimes the, it's, it's much easier to be kind and gentle and patient with our neighbors. It's easier to be kind and gentle and patient with strangers in the streets some days than it is to be kind and gentle and patient with the people who we actually share a home, share a, a living space with. Sometimes, sometimes the hardest people to love are the people who we love the most. The people we treat worst are, are the people who we live with. And that's what we're going to talk about all this month. That's what we're going to talk about for the, the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the ways in which we fail to love the people who we love. We're going to talk about how we can do a better job of living with the people who we live with. We're going to start today with a story that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Today we're going to begin with a story that, that helps us to understand that this struggle to love the people who we live with, this is not a, a new thing. It's been around for as long as there have been families, as long as there have been people. You know the story of Adam and Eve. God creates Adam, the first man. God creates Eve, the first woman. They are the first family. God places them in this, this beautiful garden. The Garden of Eden is their home, and there in the garden, they have everything they need. They have all of the fruit that they can eat. They stay up late into the night, talking to the animals, talking to God, talking to each other. Adam and Eve have a wonderful life there in the garden for, I'm going to say probably about two weeks. I'm going to just make up that detail. Add it to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve have a great time there in the garden for about two weeks, and then all of a sudden tragedy strikes. Something, something terrible happens. Adam and Eve break the one rule that God has given them. They eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. And, and in the moment after they eat that fruit, suddenly Adam and Eve experience all of these intense and confusing emotions that they have never experienced before. They feel guilt for the very first time. They feel shame for the very first time. They feel spiritual pain for the very first time. And it's just in that moment when they are feeling all of these new and confusing and intense emotions that they hear God walking into the garden. They hear God coming. So what do they do? They dive into the bushes and they try to hide from God. Have you ever tried to hide from God? How did that work out for you? It didn't go any better. It didn't go any better for Adam and Eve. Of course, God knew exactly what had happened. God knew exactly Exactly where they were. God walks into the garden and God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Come out here. Why are you hiding? Have you done the thing that I told you not to do? And in that moment, as Adam and Eve are standing in front of God, knowing that they're busted, knowing that they've been caught red-handed, knowing that there is no way out of this, suddenly Adam and Eve do this incredibly human thing. They do this thing that feels so authentic, so real. Even though this is a story about talking serpents and, and magical trees, this feels so authentic and real because Adam and Eve in this moment do a thing that you and I still do to this very day. They take the pain that they're feeling. They take take the embarrassment that they're feeling in that moment and they turn it into anger. And then they use that anger to try and hurt everybody who is close to them. Adam gets angry first. God says, did you do the thing I told you not to do? And what does Adam do? Adam lashes out at God and Adam lashes out at Eve. God says, Adam says, God, this, this woman who you gave me, this was not my idea. You gave me this woman. She gave me this fruit. None of this is my fault. And then, of course, what happens? What does Eve do? She gets angry too. 
Because that's the thing about anger. Anger is, is often contagious. Eve gets angry too and she lashes out. She says, God, honest, it was the serpent who made me do it. In this moment, we see Adam and Eve doing the very thing that you and I still do in our own homes today, turning our pain and embarrassment into anger, lashing out at people, blaming other people for our own problems. You know how this goes because we do this all the time. Maybe you've had a bad day. Somebody at work did a thing. Somebody on the highway as you were driving home did a thing. You walk into the house and you're walking through the house. You're looking at your, at your cell phone and, and maybe you're reading Facebook. Maybe a friend of yours posted an article about a politician and you're reading the article about the politician when all of a sudden what do you do because you're not looking where you're going. You stub your toe on a chair. You ever stub your toe on a chair? I stub my toe on things all, all the time. What do we feel in that moment when we stub our toe on the chair? First we feel pain, right? And then we feel embarrassment. And then what do we do? Ten times out of ten with that pain and embarrassment, we take it and we turn it into anger. You know what it's like when you stub your toe on a chair. You get angry at the whole wide world. In that moment, you say, I am angry at the guy at work who did the thing. And you are angry at the guy on the road who did the thing. And you are, you are angry at the friend for posting the article. And you're angry at the politician for doing the thing that made your friend post the article. You're angry at Steve Jobs for inventing smartphones. You're angry at Mark Zuckerberg for inventing Facebook. You're angry at the guy who invented chairs and decided they needed to have legs in the first place. Why can't we all just sit on beanbag chairs? We'd be perfectly fine on beanbag chairs. You get angry at God for inventing toes and designing them in such a stupid way. Why is it that such a small thing can cause us such intense and overwhelming pain? You get mad at the whole wide world in that moment. But now here's the thing. The whole wide world is the object of of your anger, but who is there to experience it? Now, the guy at work isn't there to hear you shout. The guy on the road is already in his own house cussing out his own family. The guy who posted the article, he can't hear you. The, the politician doesn't care about your pain. Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs aren't there to yell at. The guy who invented chairs died thousands of years ago. You can yell at God. God is there, but it's never as satisfying to yell at God as, as we think it's going to be. The only people who are there to blame, the only people who are there to lash out at are who? The people, the people who are closest to you, the people you love the most. And so instead of writing an angry letter to Mark Zuckerberg, what do you do? You go into the other room and you see your spouse sitting there and you look at your spouse and you say, you know what? I just stubbed my my toe on a chair and if some people would help me keep this place more tidy I wouldn't always be tripping over things and then what does your spouse do does your spouse say I'm so sorry let me get up right now and, and rearrange the furniture in the house so so this never no what does your spouse your spouse gets angry because that's the thing about anger anger is often contagious and so your spouse says actually I just vacuumed the entire house this morning and I didn't see you anywhere helping me with that and you say I knew it I knew somebody moved that chair and you never put things back where they're supposed to go and that's why my toe is hurting and why I'm so angry right now and this is how families fall apart this is how marriages fall apart we turn our pain and embarrassment into anger and then we channel that anger into blaming people for our own mistakes and problems and lashing out at the people who are in closest proximity to us we take our anger at the world out on the people who we who we love the most tell me i am not the only one who does this right 
And so this is the lesson of Adam and Eve. If we are going to have peace in our homes, if we are going to have harmonious families, then we are going to need to find better ways of dealing with our anger than blaming other people for our troubles and our pain and lashing out at the people who are, are closest to us. And I have to confess, where this, this subject is concerned, I don't have a lot of wisdom to share with you. I'm as bad at this as anybody else is. In fact, this week as I was trying to figure out how do we find healthy ways of dealing with our pain, I said, I don't trust myself to answer that question. I'm going to ask around a bit. And so I asked some very wise people, how do you, how do you handle anger? How do you deal with, with those moments when you're feeling angry and you want to lash out? And the best answer I got, the wisest person I talked to, no surprise, was Pastor Christie. I talked to Pastor Christie, and, and I asked her, Pastor Christie, what do you do in that moment when you're, you're feeling angry? And she gave such a wise and insightful answer. She she said, well, well, she said, for me, anger is a physical experience with a spiritual dimension. She said, when I'm angry, I feel my heart start pumping and my throat gets tight and I can feel that there's not oxygen getting to my brain and I'm about to make bad decisions. And she said, that physical experience, it leads to all of these spiritual things that are going on where I feel, feel mad at people and I want to hurt people and I want to break things. And she said, so, so I found the best way of dealing with that physical experience with a spiritual dimension is to, to find some sort of a physical activity that has a spiritual dimension. She said, sometimes, sometimes I just break a thing so I don't break a person. She said, once I was so angry, I broke an entire box full of dishes, and it felt so good to do that. I felt better after I did it, and nobody else got hurt. I just had to clean up the dishes when, when I was done. She said, more often than that, she said, I try to, try to channel that angry energy into something, something constructive. She said, so when I'm feeling angry, I'll go out the door and I'll mow the lawn or I'll pull weeds until my anger starts to start to to die down she said but the thing the thing that works the best and the thing that I do most consistently the thing I do most often when I'm feeling angry is just to stop and take a deep breath and you know I love that answer Stopping and taking a deep breath sounds like such a, a simple sort of a thing, but it is a, an, an act that goes back to the most ancient days of, of humanity. It is a, a physical act with a spiritual dimension. Did you know that in the languages of the Bible, the word that means breath is the same word that means spirit? In other words, when we say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, those words, Holy Spirit, could just as easily be translated sacred breath. And when we take a deep breath into ourselves, we're not just getting oxygen to our brain and slowing down our heart rate. In that moment, we are also making an invitation to God's Spirit to dwell within us. We are inviting God's Spirit to surround us and build a wall between us and the people who we want to hurt. In that moment, when we take a deep breath, we are inviting someone into our house who radiates peacefulness in the same way that you and I radiate anger. And in that moment, in that moment, this is the deepest wisdom I have to share with you this morning. In that moment, when we take a deep breath, we discover we discover that there are forces in creation more powerful than anger. There are forces in creation more contagious than anger. There are forces in creation that are capable of holding us together and putting our families back together, even on our worst and most broken days. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that in that moment of anger, instead of lashing out, you would give us the wisdom to reach out. God, when the people who are close to us are in danger because of our anger, we pray that, that you would give us the wisdom to get close to you. God, we pray that we would discover that the, the remedy 
to dangerous proximity is sacred proximity. God, draw close to us this morning. Soak up whatever anger we brought with us to worship this morning. And God, we pray that you would make peace in our homes from this afternoon to the rest of our lives. God, dwell in our homes. Radiate peacefulness. In Jesus we pray. Amen.